Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Deb Pullen from the Child Advocacy and Protection Program here. It's wonderful to see everybody this afternoon. Um, we are so lucky to be here um, together to think about this topic. And uh, it is a little bit different topic than may have been advertised. You can blame me for that, but it's going to be a wonderful topic and I think very salient and useful. Um, as you probably are aware, this is April, Child Abuse Prevention Month, although that's something that we hope we all do every month. Um, and we are very fortunate to, to uh, learn from a major researcher and thinker on childhood trauma and uh, corporal punishment. Um, because uh, we don't always have the opportunity. Um, our speaker today is the director of the Crimes Against Children Research Center at the University of New Hampshire, and that center is a powerhouse of innovation and carefully constructed research into childhood trauma of all sorts, um, and, and started doing that before it was really a thing elsewhere, so really a pioneering center, and Dr. David Finkelhor is um, responsible for the vast majority of that. Um, he's uh, authored more than 13, or authored 13 books and over 300 articles and chapters on various aspects of family victimization, and um, is again just a master at these topics. So please welcome Dr. David Finkelhorn. Thank you very much. Um, it, I don't come to this part of New Hampshire very often, and I'm. I'm sad about that. It's really uh, too bad that there are people in both parts of the state who are doing really great things on topics that are of mutual interest and we don't get together very often to share what's going on. The University of New Hampshire, for those of you who aren't native to this area, is in that little sliver of seacoast New Hampshire, you know, kind of 15 miles of coastline, about, uh, about five miles in from that in Durham. Um, it's a, it's, it is also a very nice campus, and there's a lot going on there in, in some areas, particularly in this area of child maltreatment and child maltreatment epidemiology. Um, and I'll just briefly talk about some of the things that we do there in this area. We do a lot of uh, surveys of uh, general population around um, parenting and ch children's exposure to violence and uh, crimes against children. We're also very interested in issues related to the internet and its impact on young people and changes in children's uh, safety and mental health as a result of new technologies. That's another area that we're active in. Uh, and we're also very interested in issues related to um, screening in clinical and general medical populations around issues related to child maltreatment and adversity. In fact, that's what I thought maybe I was going to talk about today, and I will address it a little bit later if you want to, but I thought uh, that Deb had, Deb, when I got here, I realized Deb had invited me to talk about corporal punishment, and that's an issue that's dear to my heart, too, so I thought I'd at least start with that and see, see where that leads. Um, so, um, a lot of you may be familiar with the fact that uh, I think a very, very uh, uh, important development, the Academy of Pediatrics uh, came out with a new policy opposed to corporal punishment, I think in November of, of last year. Uh, it had been something that had been in the works for a long time, and 
one sad part about it is, this is Bob Sege from uh, Tufts University, who was one of the uh, key pediatricians in the development of that policy. Uh, sadly, the policy was released the day before the elections. <laughs> so it kind of got overwhelmed in the news cycle with a lot of other stuff that was going on, if you recall, during that time. And I, I think the historic nature of this policy and the impact that it could have had was somewhat eclipsed by the, just the events around its rollout. So uh, I'm part of a group of people, including pediatricians and other academics, who are trying to see if there are other ways in which we can leverage this new policy to uh, change uh, parenting habits and, and also reduce the, the amount of child abuse by teaching people about this new policy. Um, one of the things that's pretty clear is that, you know, that spanking behavior is contagious, um, that uh, not only are kids who have spanked much more likely to use it on their own kids when they grow up, uh, but also uh, when people see other people engaged in it or imagine that other people are engaging in it, they're more likely to do so themselves. Unfortunately, I don't think people are always aware of what the normative situation is about spanking. And in fact, we haven't done a very good job of researching the whole issue. Um, so um, when we, when you at, there are some surveys that ask parents about whether they believe that spanking is sometimes necessary to discipline a child. Um, and that no, the number who say yes to that has actually stayed fairly uh, constant, with a little bit of decline over a uh, 30-year period here. Uh, so, um, but we, there have been changes that have been going on that I don't think are reflected by this question in terms of people um, refraining to some of the more um, uh, um, you know, more extreme forms of spanking, such as hitting kids with uh, objects and hitting kids on a frequent basis. But um, there are, there's obviously a challenge there. But here, there is some good news. We, we, we just um, have analyzed data from a recent national survey that we did in 2014, and we're able to uh, combine it with survey data that we had from previous years that does show that for the first time um, in the 2014 data, only a minority of, of parents with kids between the ages of 3 to 11 years old actually spanked their child in the previous year. So you can see that the rates have been coming down of those who are actually using spanking, or as I like to put it, the rates have been going up of parents who uh, are abstaining from it. Um, so it's a sign that uh, the force is with us, that there is a cultural trend, I think in a lot of ways, to abandon spanking, just because I think more and more people kind of are embracing the idea that violence in interpersonal relationships of any sort uh, are a problem. And, and so the, uh, they're coming to understand that that should apply to kids as well. Um, the decline has been particularly um, dramatic in the group 
ages five to eight, um, but uh, it also applies to kids between the ages of two and four where spanking is most common. Um, I think what we're seeing here is that spanking of the older kids is something that probably got reduced at an earlier time period, but now the, uh, the, the belief in spanking about, even, about younger children is, is uh, changing as well. Um, the other thing that is, is exciting is a suggestion of the normative change that's occurring is what's happening in the international level. Uh, there are the, the uh, WHO and UNICEF and a lot of international health authorities have been encouraging governments to take action to uh, outlaw spanking even within the home uh, in countries around the world. An increasing number of countries have actually been embracing this idea. Um, and by 2018, there were 54 countries worldwide who had adopted either through legislation or through court action uh, a ban on a total ban on corporal punishment. Um, people need to understand that when these policies are put into place, it doesn't mean that uh, cops are going out and uh, breaking into houses and hauling off parents who have spanked their kids. And th these are laws that are more thought of, and I think one of the reasons they get adopted is more as a hortatory kind of uh, statute, which is sort of setting where the standard is. Um, but it does allow people in child welfare positions and medical positions to sort of remind people that this is the law. Um, and in fact, it's been particularly useful, I think, in, in countries where there's been a lot of migration, where uh, authorities are, are interested in making the point to people who m move into a country with children that in our country, this is not something we do. Now, whether this kind of a, uh, a proposal um, could be achieved in the United States, I think most of us who are working on this corporal punishment uh, abolition issue think that it's probably premature, that, uh, that a kind of legislation about this issue in the current political climate we have would probably just get tied up with kind of um, cultural defensiveness issues that are part of what seems to be stoking some of the uh, um, political divisiveness and, uh, that we have. So uh, although there, you may see people proposing legislation to uh, outlaw corporal punishment, I think it will not be one of the major initiatives on this front. But there are a lot of other things that we think we can do. Um, the other thing that, that from a sociological point of view that conveys the idea that, that really uh, history is on our side with this is that some of the main uh, demographic and social changes that uh, have been going on are things that are, tend to be associated with lower rates of spanking or the abandonment of spanking. So for example, um, spanking is, is, is heavily correlated with family size. And, partly for the reason that managing large families may prompt parents to think, well, I need to use very uh, authoritarian kinds of techniques to keep all this, this crowd, to, do, to, to uh, conduct crowd control here. Um, but uh, we now have you know, parenting that 
uh, in families that are much smaller, where parents spend a lot more time, have a lot more ability to kind of talk with their kids, take time with them when they're um, misbehaving, and try and negotiate solutions to the problem. Uh, we also have uh, a, a lot of, uh, we have laws that do outlaw hitting in marital relationships. Uh, most states have outlawed corporal punishment in the school, so that no longer occurs. So I think the general norm that violence and hitting as a mode of correcting people's behavior uh, is not a good idea, has been getting more and more purchase. Um, another thing that, that I think affects society on this is that we're no longer trying to socialize people so much for, the, the, for obedience. As a, that, you know, the sort of the 19th century model of training people up to work in factories where they need to be obedient to uh, an authority is, is no longer the kind of job environment that we're training people for. We're, we're thinking about people having careers that involve more cooperation and creativity and uh, collaboration. And so the, the idea of obedience is not so central, I think, to the socialization process. Um, we've also seen a decline in the uh, appeal of the authoritarian father. Uh, there's been a secularization that has undermined some of the religious authority that, at least in some minds, endorsed or undergirded the idea of corporal punishment. Uh, we also know that education has increased. Edu uh, corporal punishment tends to be lower among people who have more education. And people just know a lot more about child development than they did in years past. And the child development field is pretty uniform in its view that uh, corporal punishment is not only um, not effective, but in fact it is counterproductive and tends to increase aggressiveness and resistance on the part of children rather than getting them to cooperate. Um, we can you know, think about this challenge in some of the same ways that we've had to take on other kinds of uh, uh, prevention campaigns and get various kinds of uh, unhealthy behavior um, reduced, smoking, seatbelt usage, bicycle helmets, uh, using uh, less sexist gender. Uh, but the problem in spanking is, is a little bit different in the sense that spanking beliefs are not widely discussed among people on just a casual basis. And the practices are mostly private and hidden. So changing the norms here are a little bit different. It's not like if you see um, people kind of gathering outside smoking because they're not allowed to smoke inside anymore. You, you get the idea, well, this might be something that, that I want to quit doing. Um, and, and so. Um, conveying the fact that the norms have changed, I think, are, is a very important part of the challenge here. Um, those of you who are involved in pediatric practices or headed for careers in pediatrics will be uh, buoyed by the news from some of the parent research that you have their trust in terms of advice about discipline. 
uh, when, they, when they ask people to list who they find mo most authoritative, um, they put their own parents, of course, at the top of the list, but next in the list comes pediatricians. So uh, it seems to us that using that authority to try and change uh, this behavior is a is, is, and that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm here and speaking out on this is I think um, you have a particularly valuable role to play in this. Um, but of course, uh, you've got lots of other priorities like getting, getting sleep. And, uh, and so um, it's, it's really kind of unfortunate that, um, that you've got a lot of people coming to you with highly important educational message to disseminate and highly important roles to play. And you, you do have to make some decisions about what to do. So the, we try to figure out ways to do it in a kind of efficient way that doesn't take up an enormous amount of your time. So here is a short list of things that uh, uh, our group is thinking about as kinds of initiatives that we could take to, to build on the academy's uh, new guidelines and try and change norms around this issue. So one thing is just to let people know about the fact that the AAP has these guidelines. Uh, and um, there could be lots of occasions for doing that. But for, for example, the occurrence of Child Abuse Prevention Month might be a, a reason for doing that. Um, and uh, um, so getting that information to other people besides pediatricians who may be part of your network, that, that could be something useful. Um, particular, you know, uh, we should be talking to parent educators and therapists, people who are in most contact with parents around their issues of parenting to try and persuade them to at least make the guidelines known to the people that they're working with. Um, so. Um, this is a more of an advice for people who are not pediatricians, but to make sure that they ask their doctors whether they are actually talking to their patients about it. Um, um, religious figures are important in this because some of the people who have seen most um, um, committed to using corporal punishment often think that there is some kind of biblical or religious endorsement of this. And the vast majority of uh, religious uh, interpreters and, uh, and ministers and rabbis and priests do not endorse this idea. And uh, I think it's very important for them to uh, speak out and maybe take an opportunity in talking to their congregants or giving sermons to make sure that people know that, that uh, somebody who tells them that the Bible has an endorsement that uh, is widely of corporal punishment that's widely recognized. As, as you may know, I mean, the, the, the statements in the Bible about using the rod of correction and things of that sort are interpreted by most uh, theologians these days as being a metaphor. Um, and uh, so that's an easy thing to say that uh, it, there's not really a uh, consensus among the, the biblical scholars that this is actually talking about uh, the fact that parents should actually hit their kids with rods. One of the things I've been trying to encourage people to do is to 
write op-eds for the local newspapers uh, uh, on this topic. Um, uh, uh, Skip Berrien, a pediatrician from Exeter, and I wrote one for the Concord Monitor on this issue. Um, but um, if there might be some of you around who would be interested in sending out something to your more local paper here. Um, I have lots of examples of, um, I think I've done four or five of these now, that you could um, steal some phraseology or concepts from if, you, if you'd like to. I, I like to use, uh, in the medical context, the, uh, the metaphor of the uh, you know, cold remedy that uh, if you had two cold remedies and um, they uh, both were equally effective uh, in actually relieving the symptom, but one of them had a risk of uh, causing severe complications like uh, a secondary infection that, infection that didn't go away for two months and there were some kids who took this medication who actually got very sick and died or almost died, you'd say, well, let's get rid of that other medication. We've got, we've got something else that works, and let's take that one off the market. And I think that's a sort of, that, that, that makes a good argument. It's not like spanking all the time uh, causes harm, and it's not like, um, but, there, but there are enough, there's enough evidence of its negative effects, and there are enough cases where it causes very serious kinds of complications that it's worth getting everybody to commit, commit to abandon it. Um, another thing that I think we ought to be doing is finding simple ways to explain to kids in ways that they can explain to other kids. So just, you know, giving them the message that it's wrong to hit anyone, that when, when, ki when it happens to kids, it makes them dislike their parents. Sometimes, even though they don't mean to, kids can get really hurt. And doctors say, I mean, simple kinds of messages of this sort uh, can help make kids good uh, deliverers of the message. And in fact, I think, um, you know, they talk, I know that from talking to my own son, they talked, he talked with his friends about his parents' uh, punishment techniques. And uh, kids can be advocates on their own right for this kind of thing. Um, you may have heard about the idea uh, of the no spanking zone. I think that this is a really terrific, inspired idea of um, declaring your office or your hospital or your place of work or your school or whatever a no-hitting zone. And of course, people will want to know, well, what does that mean, this is a no-hitting zone? And you could have, and there are brochures that are available that explain the concept. Well, um, we don't think hitting is a good idea, and so we don't allow hitting in this environment. So it's a chance to sort of make clear that the professionals who are involved in these organizations and institutions are taking a stand against this and trying to change the norm. I mean, you don't, necess you don't necessarily, aren't necessarily going to get a lot of people changing their mind about it just on this basis, but it does provide a way of, of giving, it, giving people a chance to convey what the norms are. Uh, and it's not a complicated thing to uh, declare your agency uh, a no-hit zone, and there are lots of neat little posters and, and brochures that 
you can uh, get from the no-hit zone people to help facilitate that. Um, put a link on, on your own website. Um, this is for people who are not part, but, but we definitely need other professional organizations to take another uh, additional stands on this, nurses. Um, I don't know where the family physicians are. I think they're still talking about it. Um, uh, social workers, uh, psychologists have, have issued some new guidelines about this as well. Um, um, when you meet parents who are clear about their effort to raise kids without spanking them, um, encourage them to talk to other people about it. Um, and in fact, uh, any of you know particularly notable people, uh, movie stars or sports figures, I, I think one of the things that I've, I've been trying to develop is a group of people who sort of agree to publicly take the pledge, I'm raising my kids without hitting them, and um, to publicize, you know, in the media that there is such a, an organization that people, are sign people that they know and respect uh, are signing on. Um, I haven't found quite the right people yet to uh, take up this cause, but um, I'll put it out there for those of you who might be, know somebody who would be interested, who's notable and might be interested in helping to uh, lead that. Um, there are um, a number of organizations that are, besides the uh, academy, that are doing this. There's the National Initiative to End Corporal Punishment, which is a coalition of American Professional Society on the Abuse of Children and the New York Foundling Vincent Fontana Center. Um, that's one of the ways that you can join up with this. Um, ideas? Is this something that, that's on your mind? You've been talking to people about and see, see uh, opportunities for? Yes? It does. Yes, um, and I do that. I do that purposely because I I do think when people hear that and they think sp hitting sp spanking hitting, yes, it is. It is what it is. It's it maybe you maybe think of it thinking of it as you may think if you do it you may think of it as somehow not very. Uh, serious forms of hitting, but um, it is the intent of, of spanking is to um, create some pain, but some unpleasantness, pain, physical pain, through physical pain, with the goal of changing behavior. And uh, but that's just changing our dialogue. Yeah. <coughs> So are you saying? We take that bridge from spanking to hitting in our discussion. Yeah, but I think the thing, I guess the thing that I don't want to get lost in that is for people to think, oh, well, I'm not hitting, I'm spanking. You have to make clear to people that when you talk about hitting, it means spanking. Hit, okay, hit children. I got gotcha. you. Yes, yes. Yes, you move the conversation. Yes, very nice. Okay, got Yeah. Yes. So when we had this discussion about the no-hitting zone, or we were talking about no. safe space, no-hitting, um, 
I think there was some, um, in some quarters, some perception that being a family-friendly facility was not necessarily compatible with telling parents what to do. And so I wondered if you had some ideas about how to make that argument. Um, well, it does seem to me that you do tell them what to do in lots of ways. Yeah. Yeah. So, don't put big signs on it. So, um, I I think the the one very important thing is to rely on the science here. This is not this is not I mean this is not about a, a cultural thing. This is the recognition that there now have been a huge number of studies that show that spanking has negative effects more than other kinds of disciplinary techniques. We want your kids to grow up as healthy as possible, as smart as possible, as popular as possible. And science is now telling us that if you want to maximize that, those opportunities, you'd be better off raising them without hitting them. And so we would just like you to have that information. We think in the same way that you would like to know how to prevent, you know, how to prevent your kid from getting lice. Uh, you would like to know how to prevent them from being more aggressive and less popular and less, less respectful of their parents. So these are all things that, you know, can, can make it seem like you're just not attacking. You can all, maybe, in some cases, it may be important to say, we're not saying you're a bad person, that you necessarily have harmed your kids from doing this, but if you want to maximize the chance that they'll have a good outcome, it would be better to think of other techniques. Yes? Hi, I'm wondering if you could speak to, you mentioned in one of your slides that pediatricians are behind the parents and spouses in terms of how to learn how to discipline your children. Um, and in many cultures or um, geographic areas, being hit with a switch or a cane or a belt is acceptable as part of my, again, my family raised me this way. So I'm wondering how you've uh, been able to influence, again, certain pockets of culture or certain pockets of people. I think to whomever was speaking earlier, none of us say that we hit our kids, but there's certainly a large cultural history of being hit with a switch or being hit with a cane or you know, something like that. And I'm wondering how you address that. So, I'm a we're behind the parents. So if my mom got hit with a switch, she was probably going to hit me with a switch, and I would probably hit my children with a switch. Right. And I, as a pediatrician, have less influence than my mother had on me. Yeah. Um, well, um, one thing to talk about is, you know, this is something that this, this, there's there's change going on here. We didn't understand this reality in the past. We've now been able to study it. It seemed like it might have been a good idea. Uh, it, it felt like it was something natural because we were raised that way. But, um, but the science now tells us that, that, that there are better ways of doing things. And I guess I come back to that again. I mean, 
one of the things that you sometimes hear that people say is, well, um, you know, I experienced that and it didn't, it didn't harm me. And the, I mean, I, I do think that there are a couple points to make in, in a conversation of that sort. One is that um, you, you may have been lucky, so not everybody is harmed, just in the same way that not everybody who smokes ends up with lung cancer. But um, if you want to, but it, your child may not be so lucky. A second thing to say is it's a little bit hard for you to judge. Your life may, in fact, have been better if you hadn't been hit. Your life is good, but it might have been better. It's a very difficult thing for an individual person to really judge. You may have had a better relationship with your parents. You may have had a better relationship with your partner if you'd grown up in family where that didn't happen. Yes? Let's go back to the smoking example for yes. a second. I, I don't think the big change in acceptance of smoking came about because people were kind and considerate and worried about what their peers were doing. Right. People thought. I reminded that every time I walk into the hospital. It, the evidence was overwhelming yes. that it caused death, cancer, and heart disease. People got frightened. There was very strong evidence for it. Now, you've referred to the evidence several times about the harmful effects of spanking, but what is that evidence? What, what is the evidence itself? Okay, so there, you know, there are really a very large number of studies on this by, by now, including good longitudinal studies um, of populations of kids. And, the, and they do, you know, the, the evidence is, the meta-analyses, there have been now four meta-analyses of these studies. They show very consistently that kids who are spanked are more likely to be aggressive. And this is controlling for initial aggressive behavior. Uh, they're, they're, they have lower uh, intelligence. They, they do worse in school. They're more likely uh, to um, be engaged in bullying behavior and be bullied by their peers. Um, and they feel less close to their parents. So they're pretty, it's pretty impressive. If you want me to send you the uh, the, the articles on this, I'd be happy to do so. But it's quite impressive how much evidence there is on this. It's one of the best researched elements of parenting. Yes? Well, I, I just wanted two thoughts. One is that I think people don't just spank. It's like it's into this issue of like, you know, people are not choosing to hit their shoulder or they're not, they don't, they don't conceptualize it that way. And I, and I think that people don't necessarily want to spank their children. But I think that um, I think that we need to be able to. Be, I think we need to be thinking about what alternatives exactly. are we providing them about other strategies because they're doing it for a reason. They're trying to get their kids to abide by them and to you know not be out of control and 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 mind them. You know, so I think that that's another piece here is that we can't just try to think that we're just going to get rid of this behavior without really thinking. What are we going to put in place, and how are we going to educate about non-physical you know, physical forms of discipline? So that's one of my, one of my points. And then um, 
the other one is, is, is around this issue a little bit about what you're talking about in terms of, I think it gets into values about like what you're talking about, about the research evidence. I think that there are a lot of parents that would say, it's not like they're not, it's not like they're gonna disagree with that, but they're also really gonna talk about respect. And they're gonna, like, they're gonna say, it, it's of high value to me that my children respect me. And they, and that I have control. And that, you know, I, that they're, that they're minding me. And so I think we just also need to be careful that we're really speaking to where they're at. What, what is of value to them, and meeting those needs. Yeah, both of those are excellent points, that, that uh, parents equate having this kind of authority to hit with, with being respected, and they're also concerned about what the alternative is. They think if they can't spank, then their kids are going to just simply be undisciplined. And those are things that are seen very very scary to them that they would lose respect with their kids and be and that their kids would be wild and uncontrollable. Um, but it, 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 it's, you know, I think it's important to explain to them there are lots of ways of being authoritative in the way in which you discipline your kids with your voice, with your, you know, with the measures that you take to intervene in misbehavior. Um, with the explanations that you give, with the uh, attention that you focus on them when they, when they need to have some, some, something changed. And, you know, there are, there are you know, techniques like, there's controversies about techniques like timeout, but it turns out that the programs that use timeout as an alternative tend to be effective in getting parents to stop spanking. So I actually think it's a useful technique, although some people think it's, um, it's, it's, it's still too much on the kind of um, using authority rather than reason to, uh, but you can also reassure them that the research does say that these other techniques are effective. No technique is effective 100% of the time. In fact, most of the time it takes a repetition of interventions to get uh, a preschool aged kid to change their behavior and that, that's just something they have to expect and the fact that it doesn't work the first time or even the first three times doesn't mean that uh, it's not working. The same is true about spanking. Kids oftentimes return to the misbehavior when they get spanked. I saw well, another, there was somebody over here. Yes, okay. Yes. Hi. Um, I'm a pediatric social worker here, yes. so I want to elaborate a little bit yeah. on that point. Um, I feel like I would be pretty discouraged if we were um, preventing a group of people who may use the choose banking um, and accessing medical care for their children by placing up signs. And I wonder about... You think um, they would be turned off and wouldn't yeah, come back? Yeah, so I think part of our job is to help reduce barriers um, into people accessing medical care for their families and their children and to work with them um, similarly where they're at and to recognize that there may be difference of values but that we want to help them to get the care that their child deserves. Um, and then I think about how children hear messages and when we are trying to change a behavior, we're trying to guide it in the direction of what we want to see versus what we don't want to see. And I think that an adult, um, like a child, I know myself included, would certainly feel uh, maybe defensive if somebody was telling me, do this, don't do that, although that is certainly part of the process sometimes. And maybe um, we can emphasize other resources, we can emphasize the behavior we want to see, and maybe signage is appropriate in that instance. 
um, what type of behavior, how we want to support families, and how we want them to feel supported when they come to our facility. Um, and then to utilize social work, child life, um, all of the resource, resources that we have available to promote the types of behaviors and to encourage positive parenting and make sure that parents leave feeling supported instead of judged, because I think that will increase their chances of accessing care for their children. So I, this, is, this is an important discussion. I think there's a, there are a fair number of people who think that, that the emphasis should be on what is simply on what is positive parenting behavior and leave out the part about no spanking. And frankly, I think there's studies that need to be done still to look at the question of whether that just emphasize the positive, don't worry about the negative, works as effectively. Um, I'm inclined to, though, just make the argument, make the argument for doing both. Um, without, but, but knowing that, I don't know that I have necessarily the, the science behind me on this, but I would say one is, I do think that hitting is indeed dangerous and harmful, and so I don't want parents to go away thinking that, yeah, I'm going to do this positive stuff, but I'm also going to do the spanking because I want to protect those kids, and um, so that's important. Secondly, I don't think that presenting the no spanking message has to be seen or felt as a judgment or a rejection. I think doing things like saying we recommend against it or we're a no-hitting zone is, you know, is just stating a fact. It's not making a judgment about the person. If they have, want to have a discussion about it and say, well, I want to continue to do it, um, I think it's probably a good idea that the, the um, practitioner not, uh, you know, make them feel so ashamed of what they're doing that they would be alienated. But I don't think most people in, in a conversation would, go, would tend to go that far. I mean, they'd recognize that probably behavioral change will change over time as they get exposed to this message more, recognize that other people may be changing, and um, get exposed to maybe more information about it. Um, yes, okay. Yes. Yes. It's very bothersome to see the spanking in nine to twelve-year-olds. Um, you know, it's really, it's not a frustrated mother with a toddler who's it. It has a much more voice. Do you have data on who spanks when? I mean, are fathers good spankers? Mothers more than fathers. Mothers more than fathers overall. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing, one piece of data, data that I didn't put up is uh, there are enormous regional disparities. So the rates of spanking are about 20% higher in the South than in New England. So we're already kind of ahead of the curve here, um, and they are more, and they are, and it's considerably more frequent in African American households as well. Um, so. Um, you know, but but this, the hitting and spanking of teen, of preteens, you know, is um, it is somewhat surprising. But then again, 
I think it's a reflection of the fact that we, we don't see a lot of what, what is actually going on. Uh, and there are households where you know, that is still, still happening. Yeah. Anything else? Yes. On the adverse childhood experiences survey, isn't isn't child isn't physical uh, physical hitting or well, I can't remember exactly how it's expressed. It's yeah, not it's it's punishment. it is not corporal punishment. That's it's, the highest. I think that those are the highest rates of adverse childhood experiences. The most common experience of all of them. So uh, people are reporting that more than any other adverse childhood experience. Uh huh. Um, in fact, you know, when you look at the epidemiology of adverse childhood experience, it is not the one that that is reported most frequently. Maybe, maybe when we do surveys of um, of young people, teenagers themselves, or parents reporting on the experiences of their younger kids, it tends to be emotional maltreatment that is most frequent. Um, I will just. Uh, I had, I have one other topic that I've been like, and since you bring up the ACEs, I just do want to mention some of the stuff that I have been talking about with regard to ACEs. Um, there's a very big, I think a big and growing um, debate in the field right now about uh, what to do with our knowledge about ACEs and whether we should start screening um, in the general population for ACE experiences as a way to inform practice. Uh, and in fact, um, California now, one of the kind of biggest proponents of ACE screening, Nadine Burke-Harris, has become Surgeon General of California. And they've just uh, passed a guideline which is going to require all Medicaid patients I think children, maybe, in, maybe, maybe only in pediatric care, but maybe in adults too, to be screened for ACEs. So you may be seeing a lot of interest in doing this. Um, my own view about it, having looked at the, uh, the literature on screening, is that w this is, I think, terribly premature. Um, that um, we that screening is best utilized in situations where we have um, a clear intervention that we know we can apply to the entity that we're screening for, and that those services are available in the community and ready for referral. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of the things that we screen for in the, in the ACEs are not something that we actually know what to do about, or that we have any evidence-based treatments for, or we have any interrate. Um, so, you know, having a parent who's imprisoned, for example, I mean, even, even physical abuse, the primary intervention that we have for that is making a referral to child protection. And we don't actually have evidence that child protection actually reduces the likelihood of future maltreatment. Unfortunately, I'm sad to say about that. Uh, we like to think that it does. But the other concern, big concern that I have is that we may end up uh, increasing the number of mandatory reports that we are going to be 
required to make based on a screening, which may then overload the child protection system with a lot of relatively low level kinds of cases of child maltreatment that may have occurred some time ago, and it may further impair their ability to deal with the more acute cases and extreme cases that they have to deal with. Uh, we know very little right now about what the results for, of, of a screening regimen will be. And I do think we need a lot of pilot work in this area. My own view is that we should, if we're going to screen for things, we should screen for things that we have, um, we have uh, interventions for, like um, trauma symptoms, like depression, like ADHD, things that may be the consequences or the residues of earlier ACE kinds of experiences, but not focus so much on these experiences themselves, because many of them may not actually be associated with current um, challenges or difficulties. So um, I, I think there's a lot of discussion that has to occur, and I, I hope when you get confronted with the idea about what you should be screening for, you really uh, do some deep uh, researching and, and thinking about this because it's not entirely clear what the best practice should be. Yes? It seems that in that they're covering what they did out in California with our social worker who's dealing with these cases and some of that. They generally you are asking a parent of a child about cases who may well be So the parents themselves, that's right. So help them address the parenting with the history that they have in their life. That seems more... So screening for parenting problems seems to me to be something that is that may be worth doing. And we do have evidence-based interventions for parenting problems. But screening for that would not be primarily asking them about whether they're using physical abuse or emotional so abuse. Right. Well, I think it might be more appropriate. I think the more appropriate screening would be asking them about whether they're having difficulty in um, managing their children, whether they're having you know, conflicts that are coming up that they have a hard time resolving, whether they find themselves being angry with their children and things like that. Those would be more of the kinds of screens that I think would be appropriate to identify people who would benefit from uh, being referred for parenting education. I guess I'm saying something different. The screening parents basically the newborns, the babies of 12 months, so that the parent who had been abused himself and had difficult things could have a discussion about having their own parenting and not what they used to. So, that, that seems to me something, that's an interesting idea. Uh, and parents may be receptive to getting some information about parenting. Um, the, one of the problems, I think, in parenting education is that we have a pretty easy access to parents when they're you know, getting prepared to, for parenthood or delivering or shortly thereafter. But a lot of the peak in abusive parenting and um, the use of corporal punishment happens around 
ages two, three, and four, uh, when they begin to encounter kids who are becoming more independent um, and oppositional. And the problem there is that um, I think a lot of parents don't really know how they're going to react in, the, in those situations until they encounter it. They, they are, when they're caught up in the excitement of having a child or becoming a parent, I think frequently um, that's hard to imagine. So it's, I think it is, if we're going to be screening and be effective with that, probably the best time to be doing that is at well-child visits when kids come in at that later age. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, yes. Since we do have evidence for um, treatment of the emotional disturbances related to PTSD. We do. Would it not make sense to screen adolescents Absolutely. for ACEs? Well, um, because ACEs I mean, can be so closely associated with, with behaviors that relate to PTSD. So once again, I mean, because I think screening uh, real estate is scarce and you can't have people do too much, I think you would be better off screening for the symptoms and the, the behavioral problems and, you know, not being able to sleep, getting, being anxious, scared. Uh, th those kinds of things are A, um, there's more, more indicative of the fact that there actually has been a problem as a result of the ACEs and are better suited to making a decision about what kind of referral and what kind of intervention is, is going to be necessary. You can find out that a kid was physically abused when they were younger, but you don't know, unless you do an additional screening, whether they have impacts from that and what they are, whether they are uh, you know, a depression or anxiety or uh, aggressive behavior. And so I would say it, it's better off to ask directly about the thing that you know, is the problem and that you want to intervene with. So a related question is, do we know enough about the natural history of the development of PTSD following strong ACE exposure? Um, to know whether or not there might be an asymptomatic period in adolescence or early adulthood um, during which intervention based on the, on the high-risk profile might be effective? Well, there are two problems. One is, no, we don't have that research, although some people have this hypothesis that there is this, um, uh, you know, that there's this impact that doesn't show up, that it's kind of a sleeper effect. Um, there's very little research that shows that. I mean, most of the, most of the research shows that the immediate impact and the immediate effects of, uh, are predictive of later effects. Um, but the other thing is that the interventions that we have are not really organized to treat sleeper conditions. I mean, for example, if, if you know anything about the PTSD types of treatment, they are in, intended to actually measure the distress that they're feeling and then reduce that so if you have nothing to measure at the beginning, you have no way of deciding whether you've been effective. And um, you also cannot work with those particular symptoms and try and reduce them. So yeah, I mean, it's possible that, that, that there may be a dynamic of that sort. 
but we don't know enough about it and don't know enough about how to treat it. It's very speculative. Um, so I think that's a weak read on which to hang the idea that we should be screening everybody for this. Um, yes? I was really curious about the centering models that are used in some OB practices. And I'm wondering if there's any research about um, the impact of those models on you know, improving parental confidence, decreasing risk of maltreatment. Um, so you mean kind of the, the they're the kind of when you these are kind of um, meditation and uh, so so the, my understanding about it is that the care is and the um, there's education that is directed to um, the pregnant yeah. as a group and it has to do with how the appointments are scheduled so they they have access to each other and to Education as a group. That I, I don't really know the literature on that. I'm sorry. Um, and um, yeah. So we should probably, probably break for a minute and let people get okay. on. Okay. I know people have to. Get can, all right. So Thank you for your, this discussion. It's been very helpful for me to sort of uh, my thinking about this to hear your points of view. Good luck to you.